Good morning. As we conclude our series, Transformations, today we're going to be taking a look at the topic of the post-Christian age. Uh, In many ways, this is a culmination to our entire series of transformations. Last week, we looked at the transformation of what it means to be human, kind of on an individual level, a culmination of what that means for us personally. And today, we take a look at the macro level. What is the transformation that is happening in our society into the post-Christian age? Jesus said to the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 16, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you do not know how to interpret the signs of the times. What he was saying to the religious leaders of his day was that they knew how to interpret the environment around them, but they didn't know how to interpret what Jesus was saying, who he was, what he was there to do. And likewise today, uh, we can be experts at interpreting everything but the truth. We can be experts at interpreting what's happening in our culture in terms of politics and economics and pop culture. But do we know how to interpret what is happening spiritually in our culture? What is happening spiritually in the church and what God might uh, desire of his people living in this time? Something has happened at the latter part of the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century. There's been a shift, there's been a change, there's been a departure from the Christian faith and the Christian church here in the West. Nobody really knows why that's the case. I've probably heard about 15 different reasons why over the years, Uh, but there's an increasing sense among Christians and Christian leaders that this is happening. And this is nothing new in church history. Uh, For 2,000 years, people have uh, rejected the Christian faith and left the Christian church or rejected her. But what is different about this time is there's a sense in our culture that culture is not just rejecting the faith and rejecting the church, but she is saying, we have tried the Christian faith and we have tried the Christian church as a society here in the West, and we're now ready to move beyond it. And that's what's different. Our theme verse for our series Transformations comes to us from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And it was in those verses that Paul said this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing and discernment, you may be able to find God's will, his good and acceptable and perfect will for your life. And if I could just summarize what Paul was saying there and contextualize it for our topic today of the post-Christian age, I think Paul would have been saying something like this to us today. Church, you are living in a world that is moving into the post-Christian age. It is hurting It is searching for what truth is and who God is, and the world has lost its way. But today, as you come to God and have his truth renew your mind, as you test and discern what his perfect will is, you will discover what is good and acceptable and perfect for your life. And you will be reminded that the post-Christian age will ultimately bow before Christ and that his church will prevail in the end. And so today, as we look at this topic of the post-Christian age, we want to do two things. First, we want to look at four ways 
that we can recognize that the post-Christian age is upon us. And secondly, we're going to look at two passages to help us uh, interpret what's happening. One passage from Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the soils, and a second passage in Luke chapter 9, where uh, Jesus calls different people to follow him, and they choose not to. And that's going to give us hope as a church that in the end, the church will be holy and powerful and loving and fruitful and will ultimately advance the kingdom of God from amidst uh, this time in which we find ourselves in. And so let's go to the first way that we can recognize the post-Christian age. And that is in people's searching for what it means to be human. People are searching for what it means to be human today. And that is a sign that we are in the post-Christian age. It is not just that we know who we are as human beings and we can find um, the solution to that, the life that we lack in Jesus Christ. People are actually asking broad questions right now about what it means to be human because they're searching. They've lost that sense of grounding both in society and certainly through the gospel. And I think the reason why people are asking the question of what it means to be human is because people today, they feel inhuman on the inside. Uh, people are walking around and they feel like they're aliens. They, they're, they're defiled. They're dirty on the inside. There's this toxic sense of what is happening to their soul. They feel like aliens or they feel like vampires. They feel like zombies where they're almost like the walking dead. Uh, searching and groping for anything that will give them life to feel alive on the inside. Or we feel like we have been attacked by other vampires and zombies in culture. They're sucking the life out of us. I think people are asking the question of what it means to be human because they are walking around on the inside, not only feeling like they're aliens and vampires and zombies, but also like they're robots. They are numb on the inside, emotionless. And so we look at ourselves and say, I don't feel human on the inside. But then we look on the outside and we see people who are acting out in inhumane ways towards other people in their random acts of, of violence and terror and oppression towards those around them. Almost like we see people um, stomping around on other people like Godzilla's with a path of destruction, with anything that is in their way. And we see all of the inhumanity around us. And I think another reason why people are asking this question, what it means to be human, is because we are recognizing that we are rapidly being replaced by machines in the spaces that used to occupy human beings through artificial intelligence, through robotics. We're kind of in this post-anthropocene space where machines are taking the place of human beings. And uh, we're wondering where our place is in that. And finally, I think the reason why people are asking this question is because uh, we are being told in culture that we can be superhuman in the future either through our spirituality, accomplishing things that we couldn't before, through maximizing our human potential and attracting the kind of life that we want, or by the merging of embedded, our uh, wearable technology becoming our embedded technology. It's almost like this uh, Disney Plus miniseries, WandaVision, where we can become almost like Wanda Maximoff, this uh, woman who's discovered her divine power within, or we become like Vision, who is like this superhuman being, part man and part machine. 
And as we look at this question, we can recognize this is the post-Christian age, searching, losing identity. And it reminds us of the parable of the heart of man in Matthew 15. And Jesus said that, you know, it's not just the words that defile you, but it's really what's in your heart, because what you speak is really what's in your heart. For what comes out of your heart, Jesus said, is what defiles you. And I think that no matter where culture searches for what it means to be human, the human heart, the human soul, the human spirit will continue to be defiled unless we get a new heart from God. A second way we can recognize that we are in the post-Christian age is not only the questions we ask what it means to be human, but it's through the spiritual conversations that we're having with people, that we're hearing from people, spiritual conversations that are happening both inside and outside the church in our society. We, Whenever you hear a conversation in the church that goes something like this, someone says to you, you know, uh, my faith no longer works for me. I'm going to go try something else outside of Christianity. That's the post-Christian age. Whenever you hear someone say, you know, I feel like the Christian faith and the Christian church are, are not relevant to the issues of 21st century culture. That's the post-Christian age. Whenever you uh, hear someone say, you know what, I know what I need to know in terms of Christian faith. I know what it means to be a good person. I'm just going to go live out my faith outside of the church because I already know what's right and wrong. I'll just go do it on my own. That's the post-Christian age. Uh, whenever you see churches that undiscerningly bring elements of Eastern mysticism into uh, their version of their understanding of the Christian faith, almost like we need to meditate and we need to uh, practice our mindfulness and other kinds of Eastern mystic-based uh, activities that re- almost replace the Christian disciplines in terms of um, connecting you with God, that is the post-Christian age. It's almost like we're saying the spirituality of the West is not enough. We have to integrate some of these Eastern practices from the East. That is the post-Christian age. Whenever you see Christian superstars uh, that we have held up on this pedestal uh, fall from the sky like a falling star and crash and burn, uh, that is the post-Christian age. These people, these men and women that we have held up in such high esteem, thinking this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what we are to aspire to. And all of a sudden, we find out that they were involved in gross immorality. or They were living this duplicitous uh, life of hypocrisy. And uh, many of them were not as transformed in the inside as we thought they were by Christ. That is the post-Christian age, when you have a sense that the ch- those who the church has held up have fallen. And there's a real sense of despair, I think, that gives to Christians. Uh, because we, we wonder, you know, if they can't make it, if they can't endure to the end and finish the race, what hope is there for the rest of us? And so uh, very devastating when that happens in the church. And yet it reminds us we're not to place our faith in man, but in God. The post-Christian age is seen through these spiritual conversations inside the church, but it's also seen in the conversations we're having outside the church. Uh, Whenever you hear people say things like, um, you know, I can look at the Christian faith or the Christian church from the outside of it, and I can acknowledge that there's been some good that's been done, and I can acknowledge that, um, you know, that spirituality helps certain people. 
But、um, I don't really need that to be good and spiritual. I can be good and spiritual, really, just on my own. And、uh, we have seen this movement, this kind of progression, in our understanding as church leaders about where society is at in terms of their rejection of the Christian faith.、Uh, for a while, we thought、uh, they like Jesus. Unbelievers, they like Jesus. They just don't like the church. And so. We thought that if we, the church can just get her act together, you know, put on a show, then、um, then people will be attracted because they already like Jesus. We just have to get her act together、um, as God's people. And then we realized that wasn't where it was at. And so then we we thought, well, maybe what it's the opposite. People like the idea of church; they just don't like the idea of Jesus. And so、uh, we would see people saying, "I like the idea of fellowship and breaking bread together with other people and getting together and trying to do good, but、uh, not necessarily needing Jesus in that." And we kind of have seen that in our society. And today, what we now see is people saying, "I don't necessarily like Jesus, or maybe I like him, but I don't need him,、uh, and I certainly don't like the church." And so I'm just going to go off and be spiritual. And be good, or attempt to be that on my own, outside of Jesus and outside the church. That is the post-Christian age as a society, and it reminds me of this twisted version of the parable of the new wine and new wineskins in Matthew chapter two. You remember that parable where Jesus says,、um, "The kingdom of God. It's like new wine that needs to be put into new wine skins, and you can't put some new wine into old wine skins because if you do, the old wine skins will burst." And what he was essentially saying is that the old wine and the old wine skins of the law、um, cannot contain the new wine and the new wine skins of the kingdom of God that He was bringing in—the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of truth, the kingdom of the Spirit. And yet today, in the post-Christian age, we almost see this twisted version of that parable, where people who、um, are saying, "I don't need the church; I can do my spirituality on my own. I'm going to leave the faith." They're almost like they're recreating that parable, saying, "This is a new wine. This is a new wine skin, a new, new type of spirituality that I'm a part of. That's really outside of the old wine and old wine skins of." Uh, Christianity and the church, and so、uh, this needs to be put into an entirely different way of looking at things, a new paradigm. And、um, we need to be very careful because that is a counterfeit new wine. That is a counterfeit new wine skin. A third way we can、uh, understand and, and recognize the post-Christian age is by the movies that we see in pop culture. And if you go back into the mid 20th century, and then go to the end of the 20th century, and come to、uh, you know the first part of the 21st century, you, you kind of see this progression of how the Christian faith and the church is portrayed in some of the movies that are produced. If you go back to the mid 20th century,、uh, people were going to the movie theaters and they were seeing movies like The Ten Commandments、uh, with Charlton Heston. And、uh, Ben Hur with Charlton Heston as well, and these were、uh, huge epic movies that Hollywood produced about the story of the Exodus、uh, of the Israelites and、uh, a story of Ben Hur that took place during the crucifixion of Christ. There's actually a cameo appearance of Christ in that movie. And when you go forward towards、uh, the 1980s and the 1990s, you start you see these movies that、um, distort. 
the Christian faith or really start to question the Christian faith. You have a movie like The Last Temptation of Christ, a Martin Scorsese movie that was produced in the late 1980s. And that was a movie that attacked the doctrine of the atonement, um, trying to portray a story that they said was fictional, but it kind of comes off as an alternative theory. Uh, did Christ really die on the Christ? Did he really need to die? Did he have a family? And that's what this movie kind of portrays, this alternate reality kind of dream sequence that Christ had, uh, completely uh, heretical, but challenging a doctrine of the Christian faith. You have a movie like um, the, the Apostle with Robert Duvall, which talks about he as a pastor falls into immorality, but it it affirms the solid foundation of the church in the end. You have a movie like Contact with Jodie Foster uh, in the late 1990s where it explored the tension between faith and science. Now, you fast forward to movies today and you look at a movie like Silence in 2016 or the movie First Reformed in 2018, and you see a different picture, a different set of questions being asked, a different assertions about the Christian faith and the Christian church. A movie like Silence... Uh, follows the path of two Jesuit missionaries who go to Japan to seek out their former mentor uh, that they heard had apost- gone into apostasy in Japan. This story takes place like in the uh, 1600s or 1700s or so. And um, I know that there's a big difference between Catholic and Christian. We understand that, but that's a topic for a different conversation. But these missionaries go to Japan, and uh, the end of the movie basically comes to this. Uh, one of the missionaries is martyred at the hands of the Japanese government. The second one uh, leaves his faith. He apostatizes his faith. And at the end of the movie, as he's an old man, he is buried, given a Buddhist cremation. Uh, he dies an unbeliever, but he holds a cross as he's being cremated. So he dies an atheist, a Buddhist, and a Christian at the same time. Think about the implications of what culture is saying through that. They're saying that, you know, this person who starts as a missionary ends up embracing all three types of belief or unbelief in the end. And that is the message that we see. That is the post-Christian age. Um, you think of a movie like uh, First Reformed, and that's the story of a pastor who uh, finds out that there's a company in his own town that's polluting his town, and he just gets overwhelmed with the idea, the overwhelmed with the idea that the environment is going to collapse. And so at the end of the movie, he becomes a suicide bomber, attempts to blow everyone out, including the CEO of the company that's polluting his town. He fails in the end. But how the church is portrayed, how faith is portrayed as being crushed under the social issue of the day, That is the post-Christian age, that the faith and the church in the face of pluralism, in the face of social issues of the day, crumbles. And this reminds me of the parable of the weeds in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus told this parable. He said, the kingdom of God is going to, the wheat, which are the sons of the kingdom, are going to grow up. And that's going to be the kingdom of God. And then there's going to be the weeds, which is the kingdom of darkness. They're both going to rise together, grow together. And at the end of the age, um, the uh, angels will come and they will separate the wheat, take it into God's barn and take the um, take the weeds and bundle them up and burn them. And there will be a judgment there. But it reminds me of the parable because as the wheat and as the weeds grow together, the weeds try to choke the wheat. And that is what we see in the post 
post-Christian age. A fourth way that we can recognize the post-Christian age is through the data, through the metrics. And there's um, many polls, many studies that have been done on this, whether you look at um, the Pew Research or the Gallup Organization or the Barna Group, or whether you look at organizations like the Southern Baptist Convention or ABC News, uh, they're all pretty much saying the same thing. And here's some of the crucial metrics to understand. And this is how we can recognize we're heading into the post-Christian age. Number one, we have seen a five-decade decline in biblical beliefs here in America. When you look at the core topics of, of doctrine, who is God? Does Satan exist? Um, is the Bible the word of God? Does heaven exist? Does hell exist? Is Jesus the only way to God? Can your personal good works save you or not? Um, we have seen a decline in Christian beliefs. We're now going on five decades here in America away from what the Bible teaches. Number two, we have seen since the 1970s a steady decline in church attendance here in America. Number three, we have also seen over the past few decades the average age in which people make professions of faith in Christ for the first time go from uh, being a late teenager to an early teenager. And what that means is that you have less and less time statistically to reach people so that they make a profession of Christ. And that's not a good sign. And it reminds me of the parable of the barren fig tree in Luke chapter 13, where they looked, this man looked at a fig tree and he said, there's been no fruit here for three years. And, uh, and he was told, well, you know, dig some, uh, some, uh, put it in new ground, put some manure around it, and hopefully it'll bear fruit next season if it doesn't cut it down. And I wonder how barren the fig tree of a lot of our spirituality has been over the past years. And we're almost like this fig tree that God is waiting to bear fruit. And I wonder how much fruit that there is. This is the post-Christian age. And so in summary, there have been times throughout church history, there have been dark times throughout church history, where the church seemed to have a dominant voice in a culture, only to then enter into a dark period of time where it seemed like the world was poised to overcome the church. You can go back throughout church history and, and see some of this. In the 4th century AD, uh, you know that Constantine in the Roman Empire uh, legalized Christianity. But it was a little under 30 years after Constantine that there was another emperor that church history would know as Julian the Apostate. Julian grew up with a church uh, background, but he became an apostate. He rejected his Christian faith when he became emperor. And from 361 to 363, he reversed a lot of the reforms that emperors like Constantine had put in place. He uh, started to allow persecution of Christians. He started to take land away from Christians. He personally would sacrifice to pagan gods. And there was this time period where Julian the apostate uh, seemed to have ushered in a dark period for the church. You can go back in the 6th century and see a dark period of time called the Dark Ages that happened for the church, where it was the rise of Islam that presented a formidable challenge to the Christian faith. And our, our response of the Crusades was not exactly our best moment. But this was a time in the Dark Ages of, 
of how politics dominated in the church, how there were wars that were fought on behalf of the church. There were plagues. This was a time of great biblical illiteracy, and those were dark times uh, for the church in many respects. You can go forward to the 18th, 17th and 18th century, and you have the Enlightenment Project in Europe that held up science and reason and tried to subjugate faith at the throne of science and reason. But the church always seemed to rise like a phoenix from the ashes. Um, after Julian the Apostate, within about 20 years uh, after his reign, another Roman emperor named Theodosius the Great reinstituted the Christian reforms, and he actually made Christianity not just legal, but the state religion of Rome. Uh, after the Dark Ages, we have the Protestant Reformation that restored biblical literacy, that gave the gospel back to the people. And after the Enlightenment, we have the Great Awakening movements in England and in America. The church rose like a phoenix from the ashes. But the ashes were real. And it was a dark time for the church, but it was followed by great hope of what God did anew. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at two passages, one from Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the soils, and the second from Luke chapter 9, um, where Jesus calls others to follow him. And I think we're going to find uh, some things that God is going to be doing in the post-Christian age that will give us hope. So let's go to the first passage in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the soils. We find in uh, verses 1 through 9, and then Jesus explains this in verses 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they were withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear." Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the one that was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus told this parable to talk about what would happen, different responses to the word of God, who would believe and who would seem like they believe, but they didn't. In the post-Christian world, Jesus is going to be moving in one direction and the world is going to moving, be moving in the opposite direction. And that will bring clarity. It will bring clarity to the faith. And I think that is going to be a very good thing that happens in the post-Christian age. It will clarify uh, the good soil 
versus the rocky, shallow soil, the thorny soil, or the seed that fell along the path. Um, Jesus told this parable, and he said, Some people will hear the word of God and will fall along the path. It will um, not come into their heart because their hearts are hardened. And Satan will take away that truth because their hearts were hardened, like seed that fell on a hard path that never made it to the place it was supposed to go uh, because of the nature of our hearts. And what the post-Christian age will do is will show who the true unbelievers are. Um, it will show people whose hearts have not been changed by the truth. And this is the person who's sitting there in church, and they sit there year after year. They're bored. They're unchanged. They feel trapped in the church. And it's just kind of words that are coming their direction because their heart is hardened about not wanting to be changed truly by the truth. And what the post-Christian age will do is it will reveal who is the true atheist or who is the true angry atheist or the true atheist who just wants to do good but isn't really changed. The post-Christian age will reveal that. It will bring clarity to that. It will also reveal who um, we thought was a believer but is really turns out to be an apostate and uh, not a believer and who drifts away into that. Jesus said that there's rocky and that there's shallow soil as well. And these are the people who are immediately excited when they hear about the kingdom of God, but they face tribulation and persecution soon because there's a cost to the Christian faith. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you in the post-Christian age. You will face tribulation. You will face persecution. If you take a stand on what God's design for marriage is, you will face persecution. If you take a stand for the sanctity of life, you will face persecution. If you take a stand for God's um, intention for sexual purity outside of marriage, you will face persecution. I'll tell you how you won't face persecution, though, as uh, a Christian, whether you're in the workplace or among your family or among your, your unbelieving friends. You will not be persecuted if you choose to not go along with the evil around you and your explanation for that is simply, you know, it's just not for me. Um, I have different beliefs, but, um, you know, you guys make your own choice. It's just not for me. Uh, you won't be persecuted for that because uh, in our tolerant culture, people will respect your own choice for your own life. But you will be persecuted if you start to say things like, it's not just for me what, what's happening around me, but I want to tell you that what is happening here, or maybe even what you guys are involved in, is wrong. It's sin. It's against God's intention and his commands. And you need to turn from that. Uh, you need to ask for God's forgiveness. And you need to throw yourself uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ for your own salvation and to submit to him as Lord. If you say that, you will be persecuted. There's a difference between just saying, this is what I believe, but go ahead and do make your own choice. Versus saying, no, this is what the truth is, and um, we need to expose the works of darkness, as Paul says to the Ephesian church. There is some also seed that fell among the thorns, and this is the seed that um, exposes uh, worldliness, superficiality in our faith, fake faith, empty faith. Uh, this is the seed that fell among the thorns, Jesus says, and the thorns were the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And sometimes 
uh, you can meet Christians that seem really joyful and seem to be authentic in their faith, but the minute they have to give up the idol of money, the minute they have to give up um, the pleasures of this world and sacrifice that is when they actually leave the faith. And what the post-Christian age will do is it will expose who among us had more of a consumer-type faith. Who was really here at church simply to get what they could get, to have people serve them, and um, to really serve their worldly idols versus to have their hearts transformed by the gospel? The post-Christian age will clarify the thorns um, in people's hearts and force a choice. And the last soil is the soil of the good soil. These are the true believers that the word of God changed and it revealed that they produced a crop 100-fold, 60, and 30-fold. And so this is very good because as Jesus moves one direction and the world moves another direction in the post-Christian age, it will force clarity. It will bring clarity to who is truly a believer or not. And I think this will be good for the church because what it will do, it will uh, purify the church. It will prune the church so that the church can be more holy, more loving, more powerful in advancing the kingdom of God through this. And so we need clarity. Sometimes the most dangerous place you can be in the Christian faith is um, kind of in the middle and unclear about your faith and if you're truly a believer or not, or even just hiding behind what you are showing people as authentic faith if it's not. And clarity will come through the post-Christian age. In Luke chapter 9, and this is the second passage I think will help us, Because as Jesus moves in one direction, the world moves in the opposite, um, we're all going to have to choose who we follow. We're all going to have to choose a spiritual direction for our lives in the post-Christian age. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, Jesus, as he turns his face to Jerusalem, he knows he's marching now to Jerusalem to face the cross. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says in uh, verse 57, And following, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet to another, he said, um, I, uh, yet to another, yet another said, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus said, follow me and go and proclaim the kingdom. And if you're going to put your hand to the plow, don't look back. And the crowds that Jesus spoke to Uh, said, I'll follow you later. The Pharisees said, I'm not going to follow you at all. I'm just going to stay where I'm at. The Zealots said, I'm going to follow in your general direction, but it's going to be a chaotic counterfeit direction than what you want. The Pagans said, I'm going to follow myself in the opposite direction. And following Jesus will become very clear who's a follower and who's not in this post-Christian age. Uh, following Jesus, this was his primary call to us as disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. He said to the Philippian church, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us for we were not idle when we were with you. And we will have to choose who to follow and which direction we want for our life. The middle in terms of our ability to hide our Christian faith will be eliminated in the post-Christian age. And that's going to be very good because I think many of us are stuck in the middle. We're entangled uh, by whatever sin or a trial the world has us in. And we are lukewarm in the middle and we are stagnant in our faith. So many of us are in that place and it's making us spiritually sick to be in the middle. Some of us, we kind of fall into this into this malaise from time to time. Uh, the best of us do that at times. But there's too many Christians that are stuck in stagnation as almost like a lifestyle for an entire seasons and seasons of their life. And what the post-Christian age will do is it will bring about urgency. Because as there's going to be a cost to following Jesus. And it will be clear who's following Jesus and who's not. And there will be, be an urgency to our Christian faith. Because there's going to be a cost. I think urgency is one of the great things that we overlook in terms of a sanctifying influence in the Christian faith. Jesus said, live every day as if it's your last. You know, be watchful. You never know when the master will return. And uh, we are to live with urgency in our Christian faith. What, would, what if this was the last day we had uh, as a follower of Christ on this earth before the Lord returned? And we have to have and we capture that. And sometimes when we can't have that on our own, there has to be some kind of environmental thing that God does or God allows to happen to force urgency out of us. I think one of the best things that could happen to us is, um, is for us to have to make a choice of who we follow. In conclusion, uh, I want to share with you a conversation I had with my daughter, Darcy, the other day. And uh, I asked her her for permission if I could share this, and she said yes. Um, we were going to watch this movie, and it had um, some scenes that are kind of like horror movie in it, uh, some horror movie scenes in this otherwise um, normal movie. And uh, I felt okay about her watching the other parts of the movie, but then there's this other scenes that I was like, you know, you really shouldn't watch these these parts of it. It's It's really terrible and ugly and horrific and i don't want those images put in your mind and she just kept coming at me and saying oh but i want to watch it i want to watch it i'm strong enough i'm okay and stuff and she's 13 years old and i just knew this would not be good for her because really these these images are demonic at the core and i don't even watch those images in that movie and um and so finally she kept asking me and i just turned to her i said okay fine have it your way why don't we watch this together? And then you'll take responsibility for those images in your mind. And if you get nightmares, um, you get nightmares. And you're going to take responsibility for allowing darkness through your eyes to darken your spirit. Matthew chapter 6, the eyes are the lamp of the body where you allow light or darkness in. And I said, let's just, if, if you want that, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you. Have it your way. 
And she immediately came back to me and she said, you know, I don't think I want to do it now because the minute you allow me to do it, I don't think I want to do it because that's kind of scary to me because now I take full responsibility and, and you're actually saying it in a way where uh, I know what the answer is going to be in terms of if I allow myself to do this and what's going to happen to me. And I said, you know what, that's very wise of you, Darcy, uh, because sometimes when the uh, covering and the safety and the protection is taken away, we see clearly and we have to make choices. And sometimes that just wakes up us up out of our slumber. I think that the post-Christian age, for some of us, could be the very best thing that happens to the church in this respect. It will prune the church. It will clarify who is really a follower of Jesus Christ because the cost will be so high to be a follower. And it will uh, wake us up because when we realize that God is in some ways removing his hand of restraining grace on our society and allowing us and our own uh, sin nature to run free in a fallen world, uh, that's going to wake some people up to realize, you know what, um, I see clearly now the choice between life and death, and um, some people will continue on in death. But I think for many people, they will say, no, I'm, I'm reminded of where true life is. I'm reminded that my life comes to me from Christ and as Savior from my sin, as Savior from God's judgment and eternal damnation. And as Lord, I need to submit to him as the one who created everything and who owns everything and who commands me to turn from my sin and to embrace him and so that I might find life here in this world and in eternity. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, he said in John chapter 14, verse 6. Uh, And I think the post-Christian age will make us realize that. Have you done that? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? This is the end of our series, Transformations. And if if you have not done that, I urge you to give your life to Christ. Uh, You will have to choose one way or the other. And the Bible says that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, Philippians chapter 2. And so why not do that today? Why not give your life to Christ? Why not ask for his forgiveness and throw yourself upon him and say, Lord, I trust you as my Savior. I confess you as Lord. I believe you have risen from the dead. And so uh, come into my life. I want to be one of your followers. I want to have life, the life that you can give to me both now and in eternity. And the Lord will do that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he has risen from the dead, Paul says in Romans 10, you will be saved. And so um, let's take great hope, church, that the Lord is at work and he's going to use the time in which we live in to sanctify the church, to bring new life into the church. The road ahead will not be easy.